You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, you may be seated. I think there should be enough seats now for everyone. Um, if you're new here this morning, my name is Pastor Trevor. I'm one of the uh, staff here at uh, Redemption. And uh, we've been going through a series this summer on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we've gone through the uh, first seven of them already. And this week we're going to be dealing with gentleness. And then next week we're going to be dealing with self-control. Uh, as with, uh, I, you know, I haven't got an opportunity to preach through every one of these uh, uh, fruit uh, of the spirit, but uh, each with each one, I I'm like, man, uh, I'm feeling convicted uh, each time. And uh, uh, as as I was thinking about it, there really has to do with the fact that my default is not to do these things. Uh, my my flesh, my desires are often in opposition to these things. And this was the whole point that Paul makes in Galatians chapter 5 in verses 19 through 24. Let me just remind us of these scriptures so that we are all going in the same direction together. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, this isn't the whole list. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All nine of these characteristics, as we've been learning, reflect the character of God. So when the person is walking in the fruit of the Spirit, what you see is the character of God in them, not in the character of their flesh. And so this is what God calls us to do. And uh, this morning, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at gentleness. Gentleness. It is not something that many of us are a big fan of, right? When Paul writes this in his culture, they think gentleness is ridiculous, right? That's what their viewpoint of uh, gentleness was. If you're a real man, if you want to think about masculinity in that day, a real man is not gentle. He's not meek. He is strong, right? And there's a lot of boasting. Look what, look what I did, right? And, and uh, 2,000 years later, uh, it was so different now, right? Like, like Hollywood hasn't made any movies uh, about men that are gentle. Is that, is that, like, that's not the way it goes, right? Nobody wants to be gentle. And, and, and when I think about it, especially over the last few years, uh, my fear is that even Christians are becoming convinced that gentleness is kind of optional. You know, that, that, you know, for sure, love, joy, peace, patience, those are good. But gentleness, let's just put that off on the side. We don't have time to be gentle right now. Like, do you know what's happening in our world? We got, we got we to gotta go forward and power here. So let's, let's just set aside gentleness. 
But I want you to note, it's not an option here. Like, it's, it's not like love, joy, peace, patience. And then if you want, maybe, maybe if you are of those kind of person, be gentle. Maybe if that's your personality type, be gentle. That's not what it's saying here. And I'm making a big deal of this because I think it is a big deal in our church right now. In our own church, in, in the church that, that, you know, brothers and sisters that we would have so much in common with, there's just a lot of anger out there right now. And not a lot of gentleness. If you don't believe me, just start looking at some podcasts. Start reading some blogs. Go on social media for like three seconds. And see if you would say, yeah, this is all gentle. This would describe gentleness. This is, this is the outpouring of the Spirit of God in these things. Wright has a helpful definition of gentleness. Gentleness is the ability to endure hostility and criticism without aggression. Gentleness shows itself when I've learned that the Christ-like way to respond to conflicts and quarrels, rejection, unfairness, or harsh words spoken against me is not with bluster and self-defense, not with harsh and aggressive words, not with angry gestures and facial expressions, not with prickles and spikes, but rather with softness. With softness, controlling my tongue and temper. And so I want us to consider our own hearts this morning. Where are we at with it? Where are we at with gentleness? Is it a characteristic of my life? What would others say about me? Would they say it's a characteristic of my life? Let's be honest this morning. Is it even something I desire in my life? Are you like Edwards who said, in his diary, a virtue which I need in a higher degree to give a beauty and luster to my behavior is gentleness. If I have more of an air of gentleness, I should be much mended. Do you hunger for that gentleness? Do you, do you see the wrestling in your own heart and are you broken by it? And that's my prayer this morning, that we will be broken by our pride and our anger and that Lord, Lord by Lord's grace and mercy in our life that we would become more gentle as a result of our study this morning. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into it. God, we are so thankful for this time in your word where we so need you. We so need your word. Left to ourselves, we get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We think much of ourselves, and we make little of our sin. And so, God, we, we pray this morning, would you help us? Help us not to make little of anger and ranting and raving, but, Lord, help us to be repentant of that. Lord, help us to be like Jesus, to be gentle and lowly. Lord, thank you that you have been gentle and lowly towards us. For if it were not so, Lord, none of us would be standing here today. God, help us, Lord, to have your heart. Lord, humble us this morning. Lead us, guide us. We're fully dependent upon you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't have a Bible this morning, go ahead and just slip up your hand. The ushers be happy to get you a copy of God's Word. As we've been going through this summer series, you've been noticing we're jumping around uh, in the Bible. We're not just going through one text as is our usual practice. Uh, we're going to get back into that in a couple of weeks as we get back into the series on Genesis. 
But for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at many scriptures. And I want you to see that, that this idea of gentleness, this idea of meekness is not Trevor's idea. It is a scriptural idea. It is who our God is. I want us to understand what gentleness means this morning. First, it means that I am not, I am sorry, I am meek, not mean. I am meek, not mean. The, the, the word meek for meekness and, and the word for gentleness are intertwined as you look at the scriptures. It's not hard for us to understand what it is to be mean, right? Like we don't have to look up a definition on that. We, we are all well familiar with what it means to be mean, but many of us don't understand what it means to be meek. Some people think that it means that you're weak. Well, I want you to understand this morning that gentleness means, does not mean that you're weak. It, 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 sorry, it means, sorry, you're not weak if you're, gent- sorry, if you're gentle. It's easy for me to say. Okay. Who wrote this? Um, <laughs> it means that we are not weak. I want us to note that from the scriptures. In the Old Testament, the, the model of gentleness, of, of being a man who is meek, is Moses. We find in Numbers chapter 12 that he was the meekest man in the entire earth. And when we think about him, we definitely don't think of him as weak, right? He, he was a strong leader. He led his people out of captivity to, to, to Pharaoh and Egypt and into the wilderness. Uh, he was not weak in any way. And of course, the best example in the New Testament is Jesus Christ himself, who called himself gentle and lowly. We can see in the scriptures clearly that meekness is not weakness. In fact, we love both Moses and Jesus for the strength that we see in them, for the kind of leaders that they were. MacArthur, in describing gentleness, says this, gentleness has nothing to do with weakness, timidity, indifference, or cowardice. It was used of wild animals that were tamed, especially of horses that were broken and trained. Such an animal still had its strength and spirit, but its will is under the control of its master. Meekness is power under control. Biblical gentleness is power under the control of God. Of course, Jesus is an incredible model of meekness and gentleness. There has never been on this earth a person more powerful. I mean, you think about your superhero kind of movies. Jesus literally could have done anything he wanted. But he came instead as a servant. He came and followed the will of the Father. He used his power not for himself, but for the sake of others. He healed diseases. He drove out demons. He was power under control. Never once did he do a selfish thing. Never once did he speak a word that was mean. He was gentle and lowly. Instead, Jesus says of himself, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was so different than the leaders of his time, the religious leaders of his time. In Matthew 23, 4, we we find that Jesus says that they, they heaped up burdens on the shoulders of their people, and then they would not lift a finger 
to help them out. In other words, they wouldn't do anything to help the people. Here's your burden, good luck. Here's the demands, good luck. I gotta go back and do my thing now. I'm just in this position of power and authority for myself. But this is not the way Jesus led. This is not who Jesus is. Of all the things that Jesus could have called and called himself, gentle and lowly is unexpected. Many of you probably read the book, Gentle and Lowly. It is a great reminder of who our God is. He invites us to come to him. He invites us to, 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 to take on his yoke. And his burden is light. Why? Because he's changed the standard? Well, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, wait a minute. Stakes went up from the law, right? Even to look on a woman with lust is considered adultery. So, so how is it that his burden is light? It's because he welcomes you. He paid for your sin. He broke the, the chains of slavery that you had to sin. He, he broke the yoke that you had when you were under Satan. And then he gives you his spirit so that you might walk in his ways. And he says, come, follow me. And each and every day, his grace is sufficient for you. Not because, I, as I said, that the, the qualifications have changed, but because he's there now helping you along the way. Jesus is meek. Jesus did everything that was needed in order to purchase our salvation. Ortland says this, Jesus does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Jesus loves to the end. And so even this morning, if you are feeling the burden of your sin and you know that you cannot be good enough to, to enter the kingdom of heaven, he says, listen, lay that burden down at the cross. Come to me. Find forgiveness in me and then take my yoke upon you and find rest. And I pray this morning, if you've never done that, if you've never placed your hope and trust in Christ, that you would do so this morning and you would find that he is good and that what he says is true, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Another thing when it comes to gentleness and meekness, it is it's not demanding. It's not demanding. Again, as I've mentioned, Jesus' burden is light and his yoke is easy. It is because he comes alongside us. He helps us along the way. He is not harsh with us. When we fail, he helps us to get back up again. When you think about uh, Jesus' life on the earth, probably the best illustration of this is he with Peter, right? Peter, Lord, I will do anything for you. I would never forsake you. And then what happens? Three times on the night of Jesus' greatest need, he betrays him. How would have you welcomed Peter after that? What would you have said to Peter after he hurt you in that way? Well, we find out what Jesus said to Peter in John chapter 21. It's, it's really interesting as you look at the whole thing. They're out fishing again, because that's what they did before they followed Jesus. And they're having the same luck that they had before. 
They're not catching anything. Jesus shows up, shows up on the shore, says, hey, try this little fishing technique. And what? The nets are filled. We're told 153 fish. I think it's really interesting. John was like, hey, do you know how many were? There were 153, right? It's in your Bibles. Like he tells us how many fish there were. And right away, they recognize that it's Jesus. And this is exactly what happened the first time that Jesus called Peter to follow him. And now they're having breakfast together. And Jesus does this for Peter. He asks him three times, do you love me? He doesn't chide him. Say, I told you. I told you you would not follow me. And, I, and, and you failed just like you, I told you you would. And I don't even, I, like, keep fishing. You're, I'm done with you. Is that what he does? No. He restores him. He asks him three times if he loves him. By the third time, Jesus, uh, Peter's like really upset. He's like, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And what does he say? Feed my sheep. And then he says, come follow me. One more time. He's restored back to ministry. This is, Jesus doesn't demanding. He comes alongside us. This is what meekness does. It is a model for you and I as leaders. It is a model for you and I as parents, as husbands and wives, as we're going to look at in just a moment. But I want us to know also meekness is not harsh. It is not harsh. Again, consider Moses. He was in a position of power. But we are told in Numbers chapter 12, why don't you flip there, Numbers chapter 12, we're told that he did not use his position for power. In fact, in this time of conflict, he shows himself to be meek. As with leaders in in this world that we live in, somebody comes along and says, I don't like your leadership. Well, the people that do this in Numbers chapter 12 are those who should be his biggest fans, those who are coming alongside them. But we see in Numbers chapter 12 that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. What was he thinking? Right? Why does Moses think that he should even be a leader anymore? He married a Cushite woman, right? Like this is their thinking. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man was very meek. Sorry, the man, Moses, was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And, and what, 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 what the author is trying to tell us here is that, listen, he didn't do anything to bring this on, Right? This is going to be your experience in life. There are times where people are going to attack you and you didn't do anything to bring it on. A lot of times you have done something to bring it on. But in this particular case, that's not the case. And Moses doesn't even get to open his mouth to defend himself, to say anything. The Lord's just like, hey, I'm going to defend you. (laughs) Okay, this is ridiculous. So, hey, Aaron and Moses, or sorry, Aaron and Miriam, And Moses, why don't you guys come on forward? And as the Lord speaks to them, there's this cloud that comes over them. And as the cloud is removed, what happens? Miriam has leprosy. Think that she might have kind of initiated this whole thing. Aaron was not a great leader, right? Hey, Moses is gone. Let's build a statue. Oh, a golden calf. Amazing. Okay, so he had some work to be done there, okay? And, 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 and so Miriam now has leprosy. What does Moses do? <laughs> he just starts laughing at her. 
See, right? See, I told you, I'm the leader, you're not. God got his justice, right? I'm God's man. Is that what he does? No, the first thing that comes out of Moses' Moses's mouth is to say this, Lord, heal her of her leprosy. And God says, yeah, I will, but it's going to be a week, right? But Moses, his heart was for Miriam still, even though she had attacked him. That's a picture of meekness. It's a picture of gentleness. It is what God calls us to do. It's meekness in action. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, they are the ones that inherit the earth. Not those who are ranting and raving and pushing their own agendas. Not them. It is those who are meek. This is a quote from Psalm 37. It's really interesting. In Psalm 37, 11 is this where, where this is quoted. But if you just back up to Psalm 37, verse 7, we see this. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Does that describe you this morning? Are you still before the Lord? Are you waiting patiently for him? Then it says this, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Man, is that not a word for today? Did you, did you catch that? You see it on the screen there? Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Anybody been fretting about the evil they see? In our world today? Anybody even thought about it? Probably not. You guys are probably much better than I am. Right? You're just like, God's got it. I'm, I'm just, he's in control. I don't need to fret about these things. Or are you fretting? Listen to what the word says. Don't fret. Don't fret. Don't get angry. Right? Don't, don't fret about these things. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. I mean, how convicting is this message? Was it just for me? Like, I want to get angry when I see what's happening in our world, right? I, I, as, I, as Christians are threatened, I, I want to fret. I, I, I don't want to be still before the Lord. Like, yeah, yeah, Lord, I know you got it, but listen, I'm your man. Bring about change through me, Lord, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the, the blogs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the social media because like, so much has changed through that not. But that's what we want to do. I want to think that jerks for Jesus is a thing. Did you catch that? Like gentleness is far from our hearts and minds these days. Let's be honest, church. God, help us. It is the meek will inherit the earth. Not those who are losing their minds at what they see happening around them. The king of kings still rules. The king of kings is still watching over everything that's happening on this earth and he's asking you to walk in meekness and gentleness. So what does that look like? How, how do you respond when you are approached with some, by someone with a criticism? How do you respond to that? When someone calls you out on something, is your automatic reaction to defend, 
Is your automatic reaction to deflect and maybe turn it on them? Like, who are you? Really? Like, we're doing this right now? We're calling each other out on our sin? Well, let me, let me tell you a few things that you've done. Is that our hearts? Because the gentle heart, the meek heart says, yeah, thank you. Because I don't, I don't trust my own heart. Because my heart is deceitful. That's what the Bible tells me. If I'm left to be my own critic, I'm not going to do a very good job of it. I'm going to see it through rose-colored glasses again and again and again. So, like, thank you for speaking that into my life. And and maybe you're like, I'm not actually sure that this is true. Well, then ask other godly people and say, hey, I've had this said about me. Do you see this in me? Because I don't want that in my life. And if that's true, then, then I need to repent. Is that our hearts? What about when people attack you? How, how do you respond? It's unfounded. They actually, in this particular case, just like with Moses, it's an unfounded attack. How do you respond with that? Do you respond with meekness or with meanness? Are you known to be thick-skinned? I mean, one of the best pieces of advice any pastor can hear is that you need to be thick-skinned. Because criticisms are coming. Attacks are coming. And if you don't have thick skin, you're going to last about two minutes in, in the pastorate. That's just reality. Thick skin and a soft heart. But God calls not just pastors to have thick skin. He calls all of us who follow him to have this kind of thick skin. To understand that any attack that comes at you, God allowed it. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. He allowed it. So why, what is it he's asking you to do in those circumstances? He's asking you to respond with gentleness, with meekness. Smith says this, gentleness says, I will fight God's wars God's way. I can trust that his way of graciousness is right without resorting to manipulation or intimidation. It says, I can bear up under abuse and not be mad at the world in the process. It says, my testimony to Christ is more important than winning at any cost. It says, his spirit is working in me, producing the fruit of gentleness. When we are attacked, we need to respond with the same gentleness that Jesus did. When people try to trick Jesus and cause him to stumble or catch him in saying something wrong, what did he do? He didn't rant and rave and get angry at them. Instead, he just simply spoke the truth. When he was falsely accused, he remained silent. He entrusted himself to the Father as we are called to as well. 1 Peter 2, 23, it says this, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How do you respond when you're attacked? How do you respond when you're angry? Is it possible to be angry and not sin. Well, the Bible says it is possible. When people say things that are wrong and hurtful, you can get angry. That's the emotion that comes your way. Probably the hardest thing is when people say things that are hurtful to those whom you love, to your wife, about your children, about your church, about your Lord. It's easy to get angry and feel much more justified when it's a personal attack. It's easier to kind of say, okay, Lord, it's about you. I, I trust you. 
But when it's attack on someone else that you love and you care about, it's easy to be angry. And so what ought we to do? Again, we are to be still before the Lord. We are to speak words of truth. Sometimes we should be silent. Sometimes we just need to speak truth. But as we do so, we need to do so with gentleness. I think this quote by Menikoff is so important. We need bold, courageous, decisive, and prophetic voices leading our churches and standing for truth in a world intoxicated by greed and lust and power. We would all agree with that. We need strong leaders in Christ's church. False teachers are to be rebuked and unrepentant sinners excluded from our communion. This isn't easy and it requires fortitude, toughness, and relentless commitment to do the hard thing. But none of this is to be done in the absence of meekness. Do you understand that? If our hearts are not breaking for the unrepentant sinner, then we are in sin. And when we speak against the false teachers, we should be praying for their souls. We need to be longing that they may be changed. We need to be, they need to be removed from Christ's church, but they, we need to be praying that they would find repentance before it's too late. So Lord, help us to be meek, not mean. Secondly, I want us to see that we need to be lowly, not lifted. Lowly, not lifted. This is where gentleness flows from. It comes from humility, genuine humility. As we've already seen with Miriam and and Aaron, they, they, they are not being gentle. Why? Because they have placed themselves in a position higher than Moses. Surely we are better than him, and so it is now our job to tear him down. The opposite is true. When we see ourselves as we really are, when we walk in genuine humility, there comes a overflow of gentleness towards those around us. When we have our focus on ourselves, when we are prideful, harshness results. When we are walking in the Spirit, we have gentleness. When we're walking in the Spirit, we're other-centered. We are walking in our flesh, we are self-centered. As you look at the Old Testament, a classic example of each of those are Saul and David. Saul and David. We find in 1 Samuel 8 that the people say, hey, we want a king like the other nations. We want a king like the other nations. We, We no longer want a prophet leading us. We want a king like the other nations. And God gives them a king like the other nations, Saul. He's taller than anyone, right? Head above everyone else. Strong man, right? Here's your king. But guess what? He's just like all the other kings of other nations. Take, take, take. What does God's word say? Not really caring. What am I supposed to do? Well, I don't have time for that. I got to do my own thing. He feels threatened. What's he do? Tries to kill. David. David, who only ever served him. And he's throwing spears at him. That's King Saul. He is representative of the power, a worldly powerful king. But then there comes David, a man after God's own heart. He was gentle. 
He, he, even though Saul kept trying to kill him, never once did he raise a sword against him. Some scissors. He cut his robe the one time and then felt bad about it. Right? He's like, uh, I mean, I shouldn't even have done that. I mean, this is the Lord's anointed. How could I do that? I mean, that's a man who is gentle. That's a man who is meek. He, he served his country. He served Saul, even though he tried to kill him. And when he became king, he, his desire near the end of his time was to set up not a temple for himself, but a temple for the Lord. Well, what a contrast between these two kings. One who sought power as the world sees it, and then one who submitted himself to the Lord in all things. David, of course, shows us Jesus. He points us to Jesus. Even though he was king of kings, he was a servant. We've already established that he was not mean in his words, but he was meek. How, how did Jesus treat the down and outers of his society? So not only did he not respond to, the, to all the anger and, 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 and all the attacks against him, but how did he treat people in general? Well, we know he what? He went to the down and outers of his society. He, he, he welcomed prostitutes to come and sit and listen to his teaching. Tax collectors. The down and out of society. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated the Gentiles. And yet there we see Jesus with this Samaritan woman in John 4 at the well. And not just any Samaritan woman, but a woman who is on husband, well, not even husband number five, because she hasn't even married to them at this point. Like that's, like, even in her culture, she was not well known. But yet here's Jesus talking with her. He went to the down and outers of society. He loved on them. He cared for them. He healed Gentiles, he healed Samaritans, he went to the lowly. Jesus did what we ought to do. We need to walk in humility towards those around us. Do you do that? Do you see everyone's interests around you as more highly than your own? Do you think of yourself better than others or do you see yourself in the light of Christ? Knowing that you are what you are only by grace, only by his mercy. Wright says this, by humility, I mean the deep awareness that I am, not, I am just as human and flawed and tempted as anyone else. Do you believe that about yourself this morning? That you are as flawed and tempted and, as anyone else. I really have no reason to feel superior and get aggressive when other people show their flaws and failings. Not if I know my own heart. We are called to walk in humility. God expects this in all of his people. I've been thinking about this this week to kind of put it this way. When Jesus came, he came as the Lamb of God. There is no more picture, bigger, better picture of meekness and gentleness than a lamb. And you and I are to be like the lamb until the lion comes, right? And when the lion of Judah comes, when Jesus comes to bring about final judgment, then we will join him and we will rule with him. But between now and then, we are to be 
gentle. What, what should we expect in the church from our leaders? I mean, how many leaders are being abusive in the church these days? I mean, it is, is at an all-time high. They clearly have ripped out 1 Timothy 3 from their Bibles. Because it says there, 1 Timothy 3, 3, that an elder, an overseer of the church, is not to be violent, but gentle. Gentle. Shepherds should expect that sheep will bite, and they should not respond in kind. They need to be patient with people. They need to lovingly shepherd the people as Christ shepherds us. This is what God calls of his leaders in the church. Men who would consider the interests of others more important than their own. People who are servant leaders. This is what God expects from leaders in the church. What about in our parenting? Does God expect gentleness in our parenting? Meekness in our parenting? Well, we already looked at Ephesians 6, 4 this morning. What does it say? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Just, just a side note. Does that mean mothers can do it? Mothers, you feel free to be harsh, but fathers, not so much so. No, it's, it's both parents. But Paul's writing to the leader of the home, knowing that men can have this proneness to demand my way. I'm going to force my way right now. This is not the way we are to parent. We're not to be domineering. We're not to have rigidness. MacArthur says this, the apostle makes clear that a Christian father's authority over his children does not allow for unreasonable demands and strictures that might drive his children to anger, despair, and resentment. Instead, as parents, we come alongside our children. Just as this was, we see the model from Jesus. When they sin, we discipline them, right? But how do you do it? Well, you first sit down with your child and you point them out their sin in love. In love. I was listening to Paul Tripp and uh, uh, Dave Harvey this last week. They're talking about parenting. Every time there's an opportunity for discipline in your home, you're all learning together. That's how they put it. You're about to all learn together, right? Because you need to control your temper. You need to control your anger. And then you come and you take the word of God with you. And you say, Bobby, when you did this, you sinned. You sinned against me and you sinned against the Lord. As a result of that, God's word says that there, is, there needs to be discipline in your life. And so I'm going to give you discipline now. But Bobby, I want you to know this. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And I'm praying for you, Bobby, that you will know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior someday soon. That you would repent of your sin and live for him. And then Bobby gets your discipline It's okay to discipline. It's biblical. And then you love on them. You hug them. And then you help them do right the next time. That's what we're called to do as parents. Not bringing the hammer. But bringing the love as you discipline your children. What about spouses? Do we need to be meek towards one another? Is there any need for that? 
something about Colossians 3.19. Colossians 3.19 says this, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Well, that seems silly. Why would he need to put that in there? Why Why would that need to be a command? Because we can be harsh. We can both be harsh. Again, it's not saying, wives, feel free to be harsh with your husbands, right? But we both can be harsh. And, and so you know, Paul's saying here, listen, as opposed to being harsh, I want you to love them. I want you to love them as Christ loved the church. Husbands, this is what you're called to do. You're to, to, to be sacrificial in your love for them. And that means laying down your life for them. I love what Dave Mar- Harvey says here. He says, in marriage, to be meek is not to be weak or vulnerable, but to be so committed to your spouse that you will sacrifice for his or her good. It is an expression of humility that would not bristle or defend when challenged about motives. In other words, we can have conversations where we sharpen one another without both getting defensive. This is what meekness should look like in our marriages. We have conflict because we're not meek with one another. We're not gentle with one another. And so in every area of life, God calls us to be gentle with one another, to be meek with one another. How are you doing? How how would you rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10? Better yet... How would those who follow you rate you? Leaders, ask those whom you're in charge over how you're doing with gentleness. How can you improve? Parents, talk to your children. Do they think you as gentle towards them? As meek towards them? Spouses, ask one another, how am I doing with my gentleness? That's the true picture. That's where you're really at. And then, once you hear their report, then get on your knees and pray. And say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I, I, I need to be gentle, because this is what the Lord expects of me. Help me not to walk according to the flesh, but by the Spirit. And this last point, I, I want us to just think about how does that happen. Gentleness means that I am blessing, not breaking. As I go out into this world. I, I'm, I'm being a blessing to those around me. I'm not harming them through my words and through my actions. Again, I would point us to Jesus Christ as our model. Long before Jesus came to the earth in Isaiah 42, we see what the ministry of Jesus would look like. Now, Matthew quoted that in Matthew chapter 12. Turn there, Matthew 12, 19 to 21. Now, this is what the ministry of Jesus was this is what it was to be, as, it, as was predicted 600 years before. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Matthew 12, verse 19, it says, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Did we note that? Again, Jesus was not about starting arguments and quarreling and, and ranting and raving. He was quiet. In fact, in his ministry, when you, when you see him, he's not the kind of person that's ever tooting his own horn, right? Somebody gets healed, he's like, just do the right thing. Don't tell anyone, okay? And, 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 and you know, with the leper, go, go to the priest, do what you're supposed to do, but don't tell anyone. What's everybody do? They go tell everybody, right? 
And so Jesus can't enter a town anymore. But that's not his character. Jesus wasn't like, look at me. Look at my, look at, I'm going to take over the, uh, Israel. Like that's not his heart. He, he did not quarrel or cry aloud. It says a bruised reed, reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. In other words, with those who are weak and hurting, he comes alongside, he mends them, he helps them. Until he brings, sorry, uh, yeah, sorry, until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Jesus fulfilled all of this in his ministry. He was gentle and lowly in all that he did. He had compassion to the, for the lowly and helped the weak. His gentleness was at the heart of all that he did. He did not come as the Lion of Judah when he first came. He came as the Lamb of God who was slain for you and I's sins. And he calls us to follow him in his example. So how do we do this? Well, we need to be intentional, right? Maybe, maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe you're different than me, but this is not my default switch. So I need to then be proactive if gentleness isn't going to be seen in my life. And it starts first with my relationship with the Lord. I need to know him. I need to be daily in the word knowing his character, understanding his greatness, and seeing my lowliness. I need to understand that, that he expects these things of me, and I need to study the Gospels to see what lowliness and gentleness looks like on an everyday basis so that I might follow him. Wright says this, humility comes a lot easier when you really know yourself. When you know the weak and flawed person who is living inside the shell you have on the outside, then out of the deep well of self-knowledge and gratitude for the grace of God that has rescued from you, from you your, sin, your own sin and failure comes humility before God and gentleness towards others. When we see ourselves rightly before God, it brings about gentleness. And so may we see him as great and ourselves as children of God who have been saved from our sins. Secondly, we need a submissive heart. We need to acknowledge that our first inclination is not gentleness. And we need to say, as Edward said, Lord, help me, help me to be gentle. Lord, it says in your word that this is how I am to be. Lord, help me submit to that. Lord, help me not to, to, to be quick to twist your word. I mean, how many people think that there are times when gentleness is not the way? Well, I'm tired of being a doormat. I'm tired of being walked over. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. I mean, God doesn't, doesn't want us to be walked all over. I mean, truly, that must be the case. And so it's time for me to take a stand. That's what we think at times, if we're being honest. But the Bible is like, no, be gentle. Entrust yourself to the Lord. Speak the truth in love, but it's not your job to win the argument. We need to see that as we go down that road, that the fruit of the Spirit ceases. There is no joy, there's no love in our life, and there is no gentleness. And so, Lord, help us to submit. Matthew Henry says this the meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God to his word and to his rod, who follow his directions and comply with his designs, and we are gentle toward all men.
So we submit to him. And then thirdly, when we come to the Lord, we need to pray. We need to pray. Recognizing our own weaknesses that we already talked about. But then we need to pray for those whom we're going to encounter every day. And that includes our enemies. Matthew 5, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so we pray for our enemies. We pray that they, their hearts and minds might be open to the gospel. And we do not respond in hate and anger, but we respond with patience and love. This is what God calls us to do. And so you must first do that. If you are to have gentleness in your life, you cannot do it in your own. You cannot fabricate it in your own strength. So you must submit first to him. So we, we go to him. We learn from him. We, 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 we admit our need for him. And then we pray. And then as we go out from there, what should gentleness look like? I have five quick things I want to note. Gentleness should look like this. Forbearing. We need to forbear with one another. That means to endure something unpleasant or difficult on one's own behalf or on behalf of someone else. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I mean, he, he pulls out an ace, right? I, a prisoner for the Lord. You think he's doing a little forbearance as he's writing this letter, right? Why is he doing it? Because he, 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 he loves them and he wants them to walk out their faith that he's just told them in Ephesians 1 to 3. This is what it should look like. Not you ranting and raving, but rather coming alongside one another with all humility and, and gentleness, with patience. Can I, can I just say this morning that a step for this to happen in our lives is to remove any voices in our life that would be contrary to this? If you have a favorite podcast that all it does is rant and rave, it's not producing gentleness in your life. Remove that podcast. You don't, need, don't listen to it anymore. It's not helping you in any way. It might be entertaining but it's not helping you be godly. It's having a negative influence in your life. If you have someone in your life who is who's not being gentle and ranting raven, then you what? You challenge them, which brings us to our next point, building. As we go through, we should see, as we see gentleness, we should see forbearing, we should see building. What do I mean by that? 1 Corinthians 4.21. What do you wish, Paul says? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a love or with love and a spirit of gentleness? He's saying, listen, because I love you, I want you to repent of your sins. Uh, First Corinthians, they got a lot of sins, right? And when he says, I, want, I, if I don't want to come with a rod, what is he talking about? I, I don't want to have to remove you from the church. Why would he remove them from a the church? That doesn't sound very gentle. That doesn't sound very loving because it is what is the loving thing. If somebody's walking in unrepentant sin, the worst thing you could do is say, continue in your sin. It's all good. For the sake of the church and for the sake of that person, you would warn them about their sins, as is the pattern of Matthew 18, challenging them to repent so that you might have them restored. This is what God calls us to. The whole point of bringing the rod is that they might be repentant and welcome back into the body of Christ. Thirdly, we need to be helping 
We need to be helping. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Okay. That seems like a pretty hard thing, but it's in the scriptures here. So what am I to do? Be able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. When we encounter people who are opposed to us, and guess what? You will, then what you need to be is not quarrelsome, but rather kind to them. And then as you open up the word, you say to them, this is what God's word says. And I'm praying for you. I'm not, we're not going to quarrel about these things. I just wanted you to see this is what the truth of the word of God says. And, 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 I, and I love you. And I, I desire that, that, that you would be brought to Christ. For, the, for the, both the believer and unbeliever, this is the way that we ought to treat them. Fourth thing we see, restoring. Restoring, Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. There should never be any harshness in dealing with one another's sin. The idea here is is somebody is caught in their sin. In other words, it was unveiled. They were caught in their sin or they are caught in their sin. They're ensnared in their sin. Either way, the response for you and I is to be gentle with them. You too are a sinner. And so you need to recognize if it was not for the grace of God, you would do the same thing that they have just done. And so you come alongside them and you restore them. That is the idea, the picture here is to take a broken leg and mend it to help them to be whole again. Helping the person to, to be able to walk by the Spirit once again. This is what God calls us to. And then lastly, gentleness is evangelizing. It is evangelizing. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Just a couple of things to note there. We should be living lives such that whatever we're encountering, people see the hope that is within us. We are not dictated by our circumstances as believers. We know the one true God and we look to him in all our trials, in all of our difficulties. And the world ought to see that we respond differently. And as they see that, then Peter says, hey, they're going to come and ask you, what is the hope within you? And as they do that, you share with them what? With gentleness. Listen, it's not about me. I'm so thankful you asked me about why I'm different, but I want you to know it's not, nothing about me. It's all about my God. It's about Jesus Christ and all that he has done for me. And, and he has saved me, and he could save you if you would just repent of your sins this morning. He would welcome you into his home. I know that you've sinned a lot. I, I too, have sinned so many times. Even just yesterday, I sinned against the Lord, and yet he has forgiven me. This should be the message that we have. We share it with gentleness, not with the hammer, right? Is this true of you? Are you walking in gentleness in your life? I love how 
Philippians 4, 5 is translated in the New American Standard. It says this, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. May that be true of us. Lord, we love you. And this morning we recognize that we have fallen short. Lord, we have not been gentle as we ought to be gentle. And Lord, the degree of that is different in each one of us. Lord, you know that. And Lord, you who examines our hearts, I pray even right now, Lord, would you show us where we're falling short short in regards to gentleness. Lord, maybe it's in our parenting. Maybe it's in regards to our spouse. Maybe it's in regards to our leadership, to our everyday demeanor, to where our hearts are set right now. Maybe, Lord, we're set on ranting and raving in our lives rather than just being still, not fretting, but letting you be God, entrusting these things to you, praying to you, and then allow, Lord, Lord, trusting that, Lord, your will will be done on this earth. Lord, we, we pray, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to be filled with your spirit? Lord, I pray this coming week that gentleness would be evident to all men around us in our lives. Lord, you are near. You are the one who is helping us. God, would you be brought glory and honor to to yourself through our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.